This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you know what kind of friend you are? I do. There's the peacemakers, the pit bulls, the class clowns, the ones that hold the group together, and me. I'm the guy you come to to kvetch. And believe me, when you get a bunch of people together who both make audio fiction and have to pay taxes, there's only one thing we want to complain about. Money. Nobody's got enough of it, nobody's paying enough of it, and it all boils down, kind of, to the crux of the issue. Nobody's asking for enough of it. If you're like most indie audio drama creators, you don't have the backing of a huge studio or generous single sponsor. You know the right and professional thing to do is compensate your cast and crew. Did that just rhyme? But don't have the paycheck or savings to do it out of pocket. What's the answer? Well, it's tried, it's true, and it's what people usually fall back on. Crowdfunding. Otherwise known as the intensely complicated and emotionally draining task of asking people for money on the internet. It's the episode nobody wants to talk about of Mini Marconi's, how to be a fiction podcaster while still being a kid. The first question most creators ask is, how much can I raise? That's starting things out on the wrong foot. What you should be asking is, how much should I raise to be able to pay my cast and crew fairly? Making this your central question ensures two things. One, your goal prioritizes the people helping make this thing get as much out of it as they put in, which prevents burnout and disengagement. And two, you're not contributing to the unfortunately common practice of severe underpayment that gives other sectors of the entertainment industry yet another excuse to not take us seriously. It's a complicated issue and one that can't be elegantly solved in a single episode of a podcast. But the best way you can arm yourself against screwing up is doing your research. There are lots of places to find a variety of rates for voice acting, writing, sound design, and every stage of production imaginable. VoiceActingClub.com has an indie rate guide that includes bigger and smaller podcast productions. Brad Colebrook has an explorable graph of indie sound design rates. Although, as a quick note here, that average is way below what it should be, which is $10 to $25 per finished minute, depending on experience and complexity. And Anne Baird has an audio fiction crowdfunding database with tons of helpful variables, including new shows versus returning ones. I'll link all of these in the description of this episode. For now, just know from that last one that the average of sampled shows was a goal of just over 5,000 US dollars, raising about 88% of that goal. That may seem discouraging, but considering how new a concept crowdfunding your fiction podcast is, let alone the fact that I still have to explain what a fiction podcast is at least once a social gathering, 88% is something to celebrate. We're already getting better and better at nailing down the best ways to reach higher and higher goals. Because guess what? 
5K is still too low to be paying everyone fairly. And this episode aims to push that into overdrive. That being said, here's where I'll admit to a little bit of an experience. While I've handled finances for my shows before and understand the importance of things like getting and keeping track of invoices from everyone and understanding how your earnings will affect your taxes, I've never crowdfunded a show before. That's going to change soon, though, so I was eager to learn as much as I could from this episode's guests. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of your first show, let's get a solid foundation. I got podcasting jack-of-all-trades Tal Manier to break down the basics and share how new shows grab their attention, as well as a few tricks of their own. Hello, I am Tal Manier. I use they-them pronouns, and I do a lot of things in indie audio drama. Um, I'm a producer, sound designer, voice actor, occasional writer, occasional whatever else I need. I make side questing, someone dies in this elevator, what will be here, and several other shows that if I named them all, we'd be here for far too long. What about a new show gets you excited and interested in donating? I think a lot of what gets me excited about new shows is seeing what that new show is going to be, which is a really broad answer, so I will narrow it down. But like, I love it when shows have either a trailer or even better, a pilot episode where I can sit down and listen and see, okay, how interesting is the story? What sort of sound design are they doing? What makes this different? What makes this cool? And because it's audio drama, it's really helpful to have audio because the thing about new creators is you don't know what their work sounds like at all. We've seen a couple of shows do the um, the pilot method, which I think is, you know, audio drama becomes more and more mainstream in the entertainment industry. A lot more people are going to realize if you show people what your show is actually going to look and sound like, if you get them invested in the characters and the stories, they are way more likely to give you a lot of money. <laughs> Obviously, you know, it's great to have a proof of concept. It's great to have what people are going to get at the very end of the crowdfund. But you also got to make sure that they've got some goodies to get their money's worth. What are some examples of really unique and creative crowdfunding rewards and uh, milestone incentives that you've seen from other shows, especially from brand new shows? Ooh, I love incentives that tie in with the theme of the show. I could probably talk forever about what will be here, so stop me. But because it's a sci-fi show about sending a rocket into space with audio recordings, I wanted to have a mission patch because astronauts on their missions, they always have a mission patch. And I was like, ooh, I too could have that. I made USBs of the show that I just put the audio of the show on and then sent to people like my own little rocket into outer space. Digital rewards are so good because you don't have to deal with shipping or like getting physical products and all of the costs associated with them. And I feel like I'm always on the lookout for clever digital perks. I think there's really something to be said for not dealing with like the environmental costs of sending out a bunch of stuff. And especially as a first-time creator, you know, you want to make it easy on yourself. You don't want to have to deal with, you know, shipping costs and reaching out to manufacturers and all of that crazy stuff. The simpler and easier that you can make it on yourself so that any mistakes that you do make will be a lot less high stakes, the better. 
So it's really important to, you know, make sure that people at the end of the day do see your crowdfund. And there are a lot of really creative ways to do that. But one that's a little bit more controversial, how do you feel about people using trending topics or pieces of media piggybacking on those to promote their crowdfund? I feel like you can do it once, maybe twice. You get a freebie. Good good timing, sure. Use it to your advantage. But if you're constantly doing it, people are going to get so annoyed and it's going to hurt you in the long run. I think if people have like a viral tweet during their crowdfunding campaign, pop that Indiegogo link under it. But I think if you're constantly like looking at what's trending on Twitter or Tumblr and using a bunch of hashtags and trying to just like hit the algorithm in the right way, it's going to get annoying quickly. So you should only do it once or maybe twice. But it can like, you know, have really great effects. Like I remember when Our Flag Means Death first started to really explode in popularity, The Ballad of Anne and Mary, which is a musical audio drama about the pirates Anne and Mary were like, hey, if you really enjoy the gay pirate show, you will probably really, really enjoy our show. That's an example of it being tasteful, it being topical, and it being correct. And another, unfortunately, kind of tough question, something that a lot of first-time creators face because crowdfunding is hard and it doesn't always, you know, hit the mark, is sometimes if they don't reach their goal within sort of the time slot, they will extend the crowdfund. And sometimes that's really great. Human Error, I don't think, reached its goal at first and it had the handicap of being a new show, but its crowdfund got extended and they did hit their goal and now we're going to have another great new show on our hands. But that sort of begs the question, how can you tell when it's a good idea to extend your crowdfund in the knowledge that if you do so, you will probably hit your goal then? And how do you know when to just call it quits and try and go after other avenues? I feel like you have to look at the trajectory of how it's been doing up until that point. I've seen crowdfunding campaigns that closed on zero dollars. And I think if you're a month in and literally no one has donated, that means you're doing something wrong and extending it isn't the solution. But I think if you're like, oh, people are finding out about it and donating and we're getting things still trickling in, then extending it might be the way to go because you just need a longer time. We live in a society and the world is always constantly falling apart. And every now and then it falls apart in slightly more dramatic ways. And sometimes you just don't want to be crowdfunding at that point. The world is never not ending right now. And sometimes it is ending slightly more and you should probably dial it back. But for the most part, if you let like one or two or the million scary events going on right now, you know, push back your date or stop you from promoting your thing, you're never going to have a right time. I feel like there's a culture in like, you know, young folks. I say young folks a lot during this podcast, but like I am young folks, but especially in that like teens and early 20s age group where, you know, other people make you feel like if you are not constantly boosting or tweeting or providing internet activism about the latest horrible thing going on, and if that is not the only thing that you are posting about, you're a terrible person. But art still needs to be made in difficult times. In fact, the times will be even more difficult if we don't keep making art. If you wait for a better time to make and or crowdfund your show, you are literally never going to make and or crowdfund your show. 
you, like I said, you talk a lot about how to avoid getting burnt out in crowdfunding. And a lot of our audience are students. They work part-time jobs. Podcasting is not the only thing that they have on their plate. They're young in a world that is very stressful right now. And then on top of all of that, you've got running a crowdfunding campaign. What are your, I want to say, top three biggest tips for taking care of yourself and avoiding burnout? Give me your top three. Okay. First one, do as much as you can in advance. Make your graphics, like write your copy, schedule tweets, do as much as you can. Second one, this this kind of relates to scheduling tweets, but post like at least once a day on social media, but ideally schedule those posts so that you are not on your on your laptop phone whatever all the time because it sucks. And that leads me to point 3. Walk away from the screen because crowdfunding is exhausting and terrible and tiring. And it feels like being online, just shouting at people to give you money will help. But also not being online and touching grass will help you. So just like build in breaks, whether that's, you know, doing other productive things or just like laying on your bed. So what would you say as someone who has crowdfunded new shows and then also returning seasons of shows that are already airing, what would you say is the biggest difference in difficulty that you face in between, you know, going from a returning show to a new show? And then second point, how do you overcome that difficulty? The biggest difficulty of doing a new show is that you don't already have an existing audience. So just getting eyes on your campaign can be really difficult. Because when I crowdfunded the second and third season of SideQuesting, I put an announcement on the RSS feed that was like, hello, friends, come give me money. But when I was crowdfunding what, (laughs) what will be here, we had an RSS feed at the time, but there was, I don't know, three subscribers. So, like, it just doesn't have the same effect. So I had to use additional avenues to be like, hello, come find this thing. Maybe you will think it is cool. I've talked with a lot of other creators about how it's kind of expected that the pilot method for at least new shows and even some like returning shows like what Greater Boston did for season four is going to become more and more common because people are just realizing it is so much easier to get a new project off the ground if people know what they're paying for. There, there's a certain amount of supply and demand and anyone can make, this is going to sound mean, anyone can make a mediocre show. And like people are going to want to know that the show they're helping fund isn't going to have like poor audio quality or just like writing that's all over the place or confusing sounds. They want to fund something that they know they'll want to listen to. And if you don't have any way of showing them, here's what you're going to listen to, people are going to be less willing to take that risk in giving you their money. Audio drama is part of the entertainment industry, and the entertainment industry is a business. And the more that we start to understand that and incorporate that ethically and mindfully into our production practices, the more sustainable this industry is going to become and the better we're going to get taken seriously. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we want audio drama to be taken seriously, so we have to take ourselves seriously. (laughs) Yeah, and going off of what you said... 
I think another great idea is just make a show that's unique and interesting and hasn't been done before. Specifically, when you crowdfund, I think you need to answer the question, why should I support your show instead of insert every single piece of media here? You should probably have like a niche that you've identified as, oh, there is no show that is doing this. And you should be filling that. I think, you know, if you're just making your your silly little show on the side for yourself, just like as a fun project, it does not matter if that show is like every single other horror podcast that exists. But the thing when you're crowdfunding is you really should be quote unquote selling something different. In, in general, as a listener, I'm always searching for people who are doing new and interesting things with the audio drama medium. As that listener who is also a person that likes supporting crowdfunding campaigns, those are the campaigns I make a beeline to crowdfund. We have to understand that people are going to be supporting crowdfunds with their disposable income. And disposable income is what you use for stuff like maybe a new set of fun sheets for your bed or a little iced coffee or something like that. And people only have a certain amount of disposable income in their budget. So you are not just asking people to support my show over all of these other shows. You're asking them to support your show over that iced coffee or that new set of bed sheets or a funky pillow. So it's two separate choices that you have to make people make. I would really recommend that, like, people take a look not just at really great audio drama crowdfunds, but also at how showrunners have created pitch bibles and pitch their shows to networks. A crowdfunding campaign is a pitch to thousands of people, functionally. Maybe it's more democratic than the studio model, but at the end of the day, it's money to make a thing. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time with with new creators, I see people treating crowdfunding campaigns as free money. Like I see people who make a crowdfund, post about it on Twitter once, and then go onto Discord and complain about how the community isn't supporting their project. You have to show that you're actually invested in this. You have to show your audience that you are putting in the time, the effort, and the work because if they give you money to do this thing, you are going to put that same amount of energy into making this show. How you treat your crowdfund and the energy that you put into it is your audition for how you are going to run your show and the level of quality that people can expect. Yeah, like straight up, I spend months on crowdfunding campaigns. I remember that you and I uh, first met when I was on the even younger side um, and I was still making Inkworm. So what is a piece of advice that you think would have really, really helped? In my early voice acting days, I did a lot of unpaid projects straight from casting call. And again and again, I just constantly ran into this sort of level of unprofessionalism. And I don't even mean like I expect extreme. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
extraordinary treatment as a voice actor, but it was just like, understand why you're bringing someone on before you bring them on and have the stuff you need to give them before you bring them on. Because it's not like you need to pretend to be a company and have, you know, a fancy website and like a personalized domain and email, like having your shit together goes such a long way when working with other people, whether it's voice actors or crew or the press or just people you want to fund your show. There's a unique set of obstacles and nerves when it comes to crowdfunding your very first show, though. What components and members of your cast and crew do you need? How do you make a name for yourself when you're brand new in the community? What things do people usually forget because it's their first time? Emma Johanna Purinen, creator of the audio drama Rogue Maker and fresh face to the community, had those answers and more. Hi, I'm Emma Johanna Purinen. I am the creator of Rogue Maker, a science fiction podcast, which is a story about a bunch of people on this far future interstellar flight who end up stuck in escape pods after their flight explodes, and they need to figure out who destroyed the ship and where they're going now. So this is your first show in audio drama. That's correct. You funded it via a crowdfund, which is obviously your first audio drama crowdfund. So why did you decide to crowdfund Rogue Maker? And then what led you to deciding on your goal total of how much you wanted to raise? Yeah, so I ended up crowdfunding the show through Indiegogo and... Like a lot of things with running Rogue Maker, I sort of modeled it off my friend um, Amy Giacomucci, who did the God's Head Incidental. She went to the same undergrad as me, and so we knew each other from that, and I pestered her with a ton of questions when I was starting for Rogue Maker. And I did some calculations based on, I guess, the minimum amount I wanted to pay people, which I'll say is still far below industry rates. No one is getting, no one on my show is getting paid what they deserve to be paid, which is so much more. But I ended up settling on $3,000, keeping in mind that it was a ensemble cast show. So I'd want to be paying most of the actors somewhere between like $130 and $170 each for the 11 main roles minus my own. I'm the 12th main character. Also keeping in mind that I would be doing the sound design myself, because if I was going to be bringing on a sound designer, I would want to be able to pay them way, way more. And I knew I probably wouldn't. So you decided that you were going to crowdfund. You decided on your total. What steps did you take to network in the community, build connections and get the word out about both the show and yourself as a new creator? I looked at a whole bunch of people who had done crowdfunding campaigns before. I saw what information they had put up, how they had described the show, what sort of backer rewards they had done. And I thought about who I would need to bring on board in order to do a successful crowdfund. My number one piece of advice to anyone wanting to do an audio drama is to have a solid draft of all your scripts before you bring other people on board. It is so much work doing all the other steps of production that you don't want to be writing as you go generally. I mean, caveat there, there are some people who do it and are successful with it. I know it wouldn't work for me. So I had a draft of everything beforehand. And then there's the other question of, do you do casting before you start your crowdfund? Some folks do. That's a perfectly valid way to do it. If you do it that way, you need to be upfront with your actors that you won't know how much you can pay them before you're bringing them on. 
I wanted to do crowdfunding first and then bring actors on because I didn't want my actors to feel like they had to do a whole bunch of social media stuff in order to get their pay. So I was thinking, what's the minimum number of people I need on board and the minimum number of stuff I need to do a successful crowdfund? So I had me, I had um, my co-producer, Rook Mogavero, who had been looking over the scripts. And then I realized most people had like a theme song or a little trailer on their crowdfund. So I needed a composer. I can do a lot of things. I cannot compose. So I found um, my friend Emily Branham, who uh, we went to undergrad together as well, um, and she does some composing, and she made this beautiful theme song that honestly like got me through the end of the writing process just listening to that theme song on repeat. And then I had already made some friends in the audio drama community, some through Amy Giacomucci, some through joining various fiction podcast creator discords, which do exist, and you can generally find them through Twitter networking. And we are happy to have you. Absolutely. We're very friendly, we promise. And through those, I was able to find a bunch of people who were like all too happy to voice a couple of lines in a concept trailer. I told them, there's no guarantee you'll get this role in the final thing. This is just for the concept trailer. But I wanted to give people a sense of what they were giving their money to. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned that you made the concept trailer because something that we talk about a lot and that is becoming more and more common is even going so far as to make your pilot before you crowdfund. And obviously that's not accessible for everybody, but giving folks a taste or even an example of what they are going to be putting their money towards is so, so important, especially on like the days of the modern internet. So aside from the trailer and because it wasn't even, you know, voiced by the people who might have been getting those roles, what did you do to make your show stand out and draw interest without any quote unquote actual content? I tried to do some Twitter engagement stuff like for every like on this post will release a fun fact. I tried to sort of use the fact that the show was based on a live action role playing game that I had run online a couple of times. And I think that makes it fairly unique in, I guess, the audio drama market. I would ask people who had played the LARP version to like give a testimonial and I would tweet those out because that was one advantage I had was that I already had these 30 people who had played it when it was a LARP and who were already really interested in the story and were happy to sort of uh, be a voice that wasn't me saying it was good. And you have a ton of knowledge around a lot of the sci-fi space stuff that it covers. Yeah. I mean, they say write what you know. I'm literally getting a PhD in um, planets and science fiction. What would you say was the most successful marketing idea you executed? Well, this is hard because the truth is sort of that um, almost not all of them, but almost every person who donated was someone I knew or who knew someone I knew. Uh, as I said, I did have these 30 people who had played the LARP beforehand. So I think a lot of it really was word of mouth. But word of mouth is great. It's the number one most powerful recommendation tool because it's somebody that you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I did also like put it in a couple of podcast newsletters like Alistair Stewart's Full Lid. Um, and now a year later, we have Alistair Stewart on the show. So that's fun. He puts out a tweet like every Wednesday, I think, looking for people to add things to his weekly newsletter. And uh, you can just reply there and he will add your crowdfunding campaign in there. How did you keep all of the places where you wanted to put the crowdfunding notice straight? Did you make like a spreadsheet or how'd you organize? I didn't make a spreadsheet necessarily. I think I just happened across them. 
But the other thing that I'll say with regards to getting the word out is to leverage your networks that aren't audio drama people, because we have this saying in audio drama that we're all passing around the same $20 with these crowdfunding campaigns sometimes, and then like slowly losing money to Indiegogo or whatever platform in question. So like, if you're part of a writing group that's not an audio drama writing group, if you are part of a community center or a theater, or I shared this with all the other PhD students in my office and a couple of them donated, things like that. Any any network that you're part of that isn't already hearing about people's crowdfunding campaigns every week. Because depending on the genre and the content of your show, there's definitely appeal for people who might not have even listened to any audio dramas yet, but might be interested. You know, you you just said that you shared it with all of your PhD fellow students and they are into the material that this show covers. Before Rogue Maker became an audio drama, I tried to write it as a novel and then I realized that it was way too much dialogue and it really needed to be an audio drama. But I did take it to a writing workshop with that. I sort of uh, shared it there as well because everybody in my group there had read it in its proto-novel form and they were invested in the story and they helped share it around as well. So like any network you can think of who might be interested. I did also make a couple of really long Twitter threads. One of them was in character as our botanist character who is an alien reviewing earth plants. My script editor Shione gets the credit for that. Uh, They came up with it, not me. And then a really long one where I just went on about exoplanets and the planet that our aliens are from. And that was out of character. That was just me going on for like 20 tweets about tidally locked exoplanets and why they're cool. So you did so much good stuff. What is something you wish that you'd maybe done differently? We were really only on Twitter. I I probably could have used more social media platforms. We didn't have a show Tumblr yet, although we do now. So I I guess I, I just could have done more of what we did. I guess the only other the only other thing is that really um, the audio drama community is very supportive and very tight knit, but like you have to give as well. So like the more networking you do, the more you listen to other shows and support them, the more they'll help you too. So I guess if I had just been a bit more established and people were more familiar with me through that, that would have been helpful. But we were we were brand new. And I just I kept finding these new discords and being like, oh, there's another one. I wish I'd been here longer. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for before you jump into creating your own show and starting all of this stuff. Settle down in the community a little bit. Get established. Make some connections. Find out what's already been done because that might influence, you know, how you want to shape your show. But also... Get yourself a support network of other creators, too. I am so lucky that I've had one for most of my time here in audio drama because there are some things, especially during, like, the mental hell of crowdfunding, that you really just need to, like, vent or be distracted by people who know what you're talking about. Absolutely. And if you're still in the writing stage, writing is such a lonely thing. You need somebody else reading your scripts and just like giving you some compliments on them. You can't get through it without that, or at least I can't. What is one piece of advice you would want to give for anyone who is crowdfunding their very first show for the very first time? So for crowdfunding, uh, I mean, obviously, two of the biggest ones that people select are Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Kickstarter uh, requires you to reach your goal to keep your money. Indiegogo does not, which is part of why I chose Indiegogo, because I didn't know if we were going to make the goal. I've also seen people have success with Seed and Spark, although I'm less familiar with how that one works necessarily. You do need to be at least 18 in order to use these websites and have your own bank account. 
If you're younger than that and you happen to have a trusted adult in your life, you would have to work with them to figure that out. But just logistically, you need to be 18 to have a bank account and to uh, select a country that you're running your campaign in. And those are some things that you set at the beginning of it that you cannot change later. So like I am American, but I live in the UK and I have bank accounts in both places and I had to decide if I was running my campaign in the US or the UK, things like that pretty early on. I know I just said don't bring too many people on before you start doing the crowdfunding, but that doesn't mean don't have a support network. <laughs> it's hard, but you got this and your story deserves to be out there. There's one last issue we touched on with Tao that doesn't get discussed enough. What do you do if your show doesn't make its crowdfunding goal? A lot of shows utilize flexible funding, and if this is the case, you need to inform your cast and crew upfront. They should know what the minimum amount they are guaranteed to get paid is, the expected amount, and maybe a ballpark if you're optimistic. It's not just in bad taste to retroactively inform people they won't be getting paid as much as they expect, it's also an opening to sue. The issue with flexible funding, however, is that it can encourage complacency in how much you promote your crowdfund, how much you plan to pay your people, and how urgent people feel it is to donate to your show. If a new and interesting show is going to get made regardless of whether you donate or not, and the perks aren't enough of a temptation, why donate at all? If you don't hit your goal, it could just be because of bad timing. But there also might be a lesson in that failure that you need to learn before you're ready to go become a showrunner. Maybe your graphics were inconsistent and confusing, or you didn't seek out unique avenues to promote it, or you didn't do enough research or engage enough with the community. Maybe it's an issue with the show itself. Something about the plot, characters, hook, or production quality turned people off. Remember, a crowdfund is your audition for the role of showrunner. If you bomb the audition, you don't get the role. There's no shame in saying, we didn't get it this time, so we'll go back to the drawing board, see what needs to be fixed or scrapped, and come back better than ever. In fact, it'll probably make your show more successful in the long run. Now it's time for the tips, and since this episode got kinda heavy, I'll make it fun. Make a Pinterest board for your show, and pick out a five to six color palette all those images have in common. Ask yourself some questions about these colors. Are they mostly warm or cool? Saturated or dull? Light or dark? close to one hue or all over the place. Now, with that in mind, based just off this color palette, ask a friend to predict details about the show. What genre do they think it is? Where do they think it's set? What's the tone of the show? Maybe a song these colors bring to mind? Get that perspective, and I'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, sound off. Drop me a line at minimarconis.com or at newtshot, that's N-E-W-T-S-C-H-O-T-T, on Twitter. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Podchaser, or Spotify. Thanks for listening. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.